Welcome to the Freelancer Show, episode 243. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about money management for freelancers with Luke Fry. Uh, and our panelists are myself, Curtis, and we have Philip Morgan. Hello, hello. And clearly, Luke Fry, because I said we're talking money management with him. Hello. So, Luke, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do, uh, just so we all have a good frame of reference to start with. Yeah, so... I co-founded a company called TimberTax.co, and we focus in tax compliance and planning for freelancers and consultants. And so why did you start Timber? My background is in accounting, and I actually was uh, one of the first accountants at Bench.co, so I really had an entrepreneurial spirit. I've always believed in people really working for themselves and doing interesting creative things. I've never been uh, really <laughs> a good fit for a corporate environment. So I, I appreciate the lifestyle that you can build for yourself as a freelancer. I also understand that the economy is really shifting towards having so many more freelancers. And in reality, I think a lot of freelancers are pretty clueless on bookkeeping, taxes, and money. And I think it's a very scary topic. And the options out there right now are not particularly pleasant. Uh, either you, you know, probably have a traditional CPA firm, which I completely respect, but uh, generally will be, you know, very paper-filled and not very friendly or customer service or client experience oriented. The other option would be, you know, maybe an H&R Block or something along those lines, which essentially rolls up the sidewalks in the summertime. And I think that freelancers really need support throughout the year, and that's why. Uh, my business partner, Anne, and I co-founded TimberTax uh, in order to really help support freelancers and especially creative web-based freelancers because we find that um, it's really enjoyable to work with people who are passionate about um, doing something that they just love, and we help them take care of the more tedious items. So what is the biggest problem that you see freelancers uh, as they get started that they have with their taxes? TimberTax.co provides web-based tax services for freelancers and consultants. A web-based experience from end-to-end, -end, including direct interaction with certified professionals, Timber is able to help you stay compliant and plan for the future. Taxes are often the biggest expense faced by freelancers and consultants. Are you investing in planning and understanding how to minimize your tax and manage your cash flow? Taxes don't have to be intimidating or scary. With our client-first approach and accessibility, you never have to wonder where your return is or when you'll get your refund. Book a free consultation today or check to see if your tax question is on our FAQ at TimberTax.co. So what is the biggest problem that you see freelancers uh, as they get started that they have with their taxes? I think it really is just an awareness, um, an understanding. If it's the first time someone is doing a freelance gig, one of the biggest expenses, if you really look at it, is oftentimes your your tax expense. And so, um, you know, that in the U.S. will come through as self-employment taxes in addition to federal income taxes. And then you probably have state income taxes. You may have state franchise taxes. Uh, if you're selling goods or a photographer in some states, you may even be subject to sales taxes. And so, 
you know, essentially, I think when the word tax is used, most people's eyes roll back in their head and they turn off listening when in reality, um, you know, the more education that we can provide for freelancers, the, the better suited they're going to do uh, be for setting things like rates. Uh, I think so many people may go from a full-time job to freelancing and they may not really consider the tax implications of their hourly rate if they're doing that or their value-based billing. Uh, they may just kind of port over their salary and not realize that in the U.S., uh, payroll taxes are covered 50% by your employer. So you really need to be probably more aggressive than you might think uh, when setting your rates so that way you have enough cash set aside to pay your taxes. Yeah, it's the same in Canada. Even with your write-offs, um, you still have to pay CPP um, no matter mm -hmm. what. So you, I like even if I'm getting money back from the government, I still have to put something out in the form of CPP. Right. Um, and I was talking to my bookkeeper, who I've had for well since I started a business. No, before I started a business, um, he's always surprised that I am because I'm only not always surprised anymore, I suppose, but happy because I've actually saved money. And usually, once he says tells me the tax bill, I'm like, sweet, I got like an extra couple grand in my pocket. Mm -hmm. um, and he says that his most of his business owners don't. They show up with a box of receipts and they. Um, and then they don't have the money they need anyways because they've been mm -hmm. spending right through. I actually think another big word that uh, small business people or people in general don't love is the word budget. Um, mm -hmm. So how do you tell people to budget uh, for their taxes out of their projects? You know, I really just say um, this goes into one component of banking. And so many freelancers uh, maybe start off very light and so they don't see the need uh, to set up a separate bank account. So I would say that's really number one, set up a separate bank account uh, for all of your business revenue and expenses. From there, you come to some arrived at number. I generally advise people about 30% to set aside um, of everything that you take in. Uh, certainly it's more likely than that, but simpler to just say, uh, if you get a $10,000 check, put $3,000 of it in a separate savings account. So you know, it's a very simplified budgeting process. I think that's what intimidates so many people, you know, including me, and I'm a CPA. So uh, the simpler to make it, the more successful it's going to be. So I really just recommend have a checking account for operating and then have a separate savings account that you see how much money is in there just for tax. And then just don't spend it. You know, that's really what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. I actually have my tax account hooked up to an account that I can't see from uh, anything but my computer. So it does not attach to any card. Smart. Uh, yeah. not even sure if it shows up on my phone because of how it's set up, but it's a totally separate on a separate account account. Mm -hmm. That's how we deal with it. What, uh, so what do you recommend for freelancers starting out bookkeeping wise? Bookkeeping is such a black hole. And I, that's where a lot of my background is at bench.co and um, you know, that is a, a service that will serve most people really well. Um, but I think the biggest thing is really understanding as a freelancer, what do you need to do? Um, because ultimately, whatever service provider you go to is going to tell you that's the one that you need. And uh, I think that in reality, uh, you need to consider, are you invoicing? Okay, if you're invoicing something like Bench, uh, we'll have to have an additional service. So maybe it's an idea to go use FreshBooks. FreshBooks also has expense tracking. But 
if you're set up as an S corporation or need a bigger balance sheet uh, capability, FreshBooks isn't going to be your best bet. So then you're entering the world of accounting software, and that's always <laughs> not as exciting for non-accountants. And so your options are zero, which I am zero certified, and then QuickBooks Online. I took the QuickBooks Online certification courses, and I just really don't care for it. So my preferred software for uh, an actual uh, accounting system would be zero. Um, and that would include bank reconciliations, balance sheets. When I say balance sheets, I mean you track things like assets, uh, computers that you purchased, equipment. If you have inventory, you need something like that. If you're just um, doing services online, chances are something like FreshBooks would be all you really need. I've continually asked my my accountant whether I need to upgrade for my spreadsheet, and he always says, nah, it's fine. So I feel lucky yeah. in that. Every I, year I've said, because we refined it over 10 years as well, so it's exactly what mm -hmm. he wants to see. Um, and it's down to what he sees one page of reports, and if he wants to ask mm -hmm. any questions, I actually pull up the rest of it for him to see. That's it. I do think that with any of these systems, it ultimately comes down to the consistent application of it. Uh, and, and what I mean is, you know, any one of these will have uh, drawbacks, but if you're diligent, you can make it work. So a Google Doc or an Excel file, I mean, even if you had a paper record, if it was organized and clear, and I saw it come in to my desk, I would be happy compared to a Dropbox full of receipts that I don't know where anything is organized. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and I actually hire, um, I guess, an assistant to enter all my receipts for me, so I don't... I photograph them, it's like scan them with my phone and send them oh. off to her. And she does all of that. I can check the spreadsheet whenever I feel mm. like, but I don't do anything else. And my accountant deals with it at the end of the year and, and mm. offers advice throughout the year because it's he actually recommended that because it's much cheaper that way for me. Yeah. So. Well, I don't want to get her fired, but there's actually uh, a couple softwares out there that offer either free or very cheap services to OCR the data. Uh, Receipt Bank is one. So if you were already taking photos, you could just upload it to Receipt Bank. It would do the data entry for you. Um, as well, uh, Zero would pull it in. I don't think they OCR it, but there are uh, other ones like Expensify you could also use um, that would just automatically pull the data. Certainly most of those you'd have a little bit of a fee for, but my guess is it would be less time and less cost than hiring somebody to do it. I'm going to tell you said that and fire. I'm going to blame it on you. She can do no. more interesting stuff now. <laughs> she could. <laughs> she could. Um, so when someone asked you to, if they should form an LLC or an S-Corp or whatever other designation there is in the U.S., what, mm -hmm. what do you tell them? You know, that is such a common question. And I've heard so much bad advice uh, on that. Uh, and unfortunately, the tax world really is, it depends on specifics, but I've narrowed it down to a few really key questions to ask. And one of them is, uh, are you making over 50 grand? And I would say, if you're not making over 50 grand, it's probably not worth setting any sort of an entity up unless you're doing something high risk, in which case having an LLC to protect you will be ideal. Um, now, uh, an S corporation, and I actually have my S corporation taxation book right here, um, is an interesting beast. It's a federal election that a state may or may not recognize. 
Uh, I really like S corporations. Uh, the other option would be setting up a partnership if you have multiple people in there. But S corporations, you can be a, a single owner. Uh, the biggest mistakes I've seen with S corporations is just getting into it without actually setting it up properly. So if you have an accountant that's setting up an S corporation with you, make sure that you've you know follow through. It's kind of like finishing your antibiotics. If you don't finish them, you're going to still be sick and probably be worse because you know setting yourself up on payroll as an S corporation owner is critical. If you don't, there are major penalties and fines. Um, making sure that Oh, I'm getting a call decline. Uh, making sure that you are paying yourself a salary that's reasonable and what is reasonable. Uh, you know, it's generally something that you would pay somebody to do the job instead of you. Um, that said, uh, if you're not making money, then a reasonable salary could be nothing. Um, but really making sure that uh, you understand what an S corporation is if you're going to go with it and then following through with it. Uh, if you're setting up an S corporation, that's where getting more involved with uh, a full on accounting system like Xero or QuickBooks Online is going to be critical. Whereas if you're just operating as a, a single member LLC, uh, just tracking your expenses is completely fine. That's going to be great. So the other big thing when you have an S corporation is you actually have a complete and separate tax return uh, to prepare. And so that's going to cost you anywhere from you know, $500 to $2,000 just for that separate entity tax return. Uh, and you don't really get most of the savings of an S corporation unless you're making $100,000, $120,000 a year. So I think, like me, most people get excited about this you know, sexy tax entity called uh, an S-Corp, uh, but it doesn't really make sense unless you're making over a hundred grand uh, or some other uh, considerations and uh, unless your state also recognizes uh, the S-Corporation uh, as well as a flow-through rather than being taxed. And then I wish I had Ruben here so we could talk to some of the stuff in Israel as well. But I know in Canada, uh, I'm a partnership I'm told when we're consistently making over 200 grand a year, then it's worth going incorporated. Mm -hmm. 200 grand a year, if we're not spending it all, if we're spending it all, because it all has to come back through to me then mm -hmm. as an income, or my wife too is ace because she owns 15% of the company, then it's not worth it because uh, we don't take advantage of the business being taxed at a lesser rate on the right. makes, right? <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like it's about 5% plus in Canada. Mm -hmm. So what about deductions? Can I deduct like the flip-flops I'm wearing now, do you think? You know, I'm, they're at my office, right? <laughs> the uniforms is one of the funniest things. People uh, love to try and deduct different uh, clothing items. And generally, any item uh, that has a you know, very personal uh, nature to it, as well as business, the general rule the IRS will say is no. But then a good example would be business meals and entertainment. Uh, that would be deductible, but only in 50%. And only if there's a ordinary and necessary business purpose, uh, and then it's actually documented. So one of the big things that people do with business meals is, you know, they'll go use their company as a piggy bank for eating. Uh, and the IRS knows that, and if you were audited, um, you would have to provide receipts that have documentation of, okay, what was this business meal for? And if you have uh, a receipt that says, we were, you know, I was 
at lunch with Philip and we were talking strategy or um, content promotion or something, then it makes sense. Uh, but if they come in and you don't have any sort of records, you're basically going to be disallowed that deduction. So, I mean, again, it's one of those things where it sort of depends, but the rule of thumb in the IRS, for the IRS anyway is, is it ordinary and necessary? So another consultant or another freelancer in your industry would probably have this expense. And then the other item would be, you know, is it personal or is it really business? So can you tell us any stories about the worst tax deduction you saw where you're like, this isn't even close. Why did you do this? Oh, I think the the biggest thing is cars. Um, there is a clever way to uh, set up purchasing a car um, and running it through the business and, and totally legitimate too. Uh, but I think the biggest thing people get themselves into is uh, say you buy a $30,000 car and then all of a sudden uh, you say that it's 100% business, but then maybe you decide to take a job somewhere instead. Well, if we said it was 100% business and we took uh, Section 179 deduction or somehow figured out how to deduct the whole thing, uh, well, the following year, business use goes down to zero. There's what's called depreciation recapture. So you basically are creating a gain for yourself in a future year that you're then taxed on. So I would say the biggest thing I've seen people try to do is, you know, deduct commuting miles, uh, buy a car and, you know, use it for personal, but expense it through the business. Um, and, you know, in addition to just a ton of business meals um, and then just shopping for clothes. So can you tell us more about planning for and paying your taxes, specifically quarterly? Because I know in Canada, um, until we made over a hundred grand with the business, the government basically didn't care. And once we made over a hundred grand, we had to start paying quarterly uh, for our taxes. Yeah, so quarterly taxes are basically the norm for anyone who's self-employed in the U.S. Uh, if you have a regular job and um, are doing some freelancing on the side, it may be less critical to do so. Uh, so many people don't pay their quarterly taxes, and then. It's not the end of the world if you didn't do that at the end of the year when you pay, uh, file your taxes and find out how much you owed, so long as you actually have that tax uh, money saved on hand. Uh, because there, there are penalties for late payment, and those even go in uh, for each quarter. So if your income is equal throughout the year, you should theoretically put in equal payments throughout the year. If you didn't do that, there could be a small penalty. It's not huge. Uh, but what I've seen with most people who don't pay their quarterly is they also aren't saving that money. Um, so your prior year tax return, uh, if you've been freelancing, will actually give you what's called safe harbor estimates. You can really rely on those to pay in. It has the due dates on there. It has instructions. Almost uh, every state should allow online payments as well. You just Google Department of Revenue, whatever state, uh, and you'll be able to pay online or mail them a check, same with the IRS. Um, so it's really uh, staying on top of that in your first year of freelancing. Um, and that's where I would say people should really reach out for help to gain understanding on, okay, how much tax will I probably owe? And when should I remit it? And the first year, you likely won't be penalized for not remitting it quarterly. Uh, but when you do your taxes, you will have 
um, that payment to make, which, which will be probably the biggest tax payment you made if you weren't uh, freelancing before. And then from there, if your income is about the same, you can just use what's called the vouchers on your prior year tax return and pay those. Or if your income is increasing or changing quite a lot, it may be worth hiring a CPA or um, someone in order to help calculate your quarterly payment. It's kind of like doing a mini tax return, but if your cash flow is dynamic enough, it could be very beneficial to do that. I know uh, up here in Canada, we can have the CRA actually direct deduct it from your bank account. So I just hooked them up to my business tax bank account. And then I do a calculation for my last payment of the year and skip it if it doesn't need to be put in. So Yeah, exactly. So it sounds like you're you're pretty savvy on on understanding the quarterly oh, payments as well. After a painful year, yeah, I totally am. After having a a year when I didn't save ten thousand dollars and they had gave me a ten thousand dollar bill and I was like Ugh. And then I said, mm -hmm. I will never do that again. And mm -hmm. I say, I paid it all off and saved up for the next year at the same time. That's the thing. I, I do see a lot of people have that situation. And instead of, you know, learning and being more proactive about it, maybe they had a bad year the following year. Then they're behind on the prior year and the current year. Uh, and it's just, mm -hmm. it's just a hole that is, uh, I mean, debt is not a fun thing for anyone. Uh, and if it's debt to the IRS, it's really not fun. So, uh, that's really, uh, you know, if you're a freelancer in your first year, uh, finding a CPA, I mean, we offer that service at TimberTax.co to help uh, calculate quarterly payments as well. Uh, if your income is fluctuating a lot or if it's your first year in business, can't understate the importance of knowing how much to pay. Yeah, my dad had a, something like that happen where he made a quarter million dollars working for himself one year and then it just did not go well the next year and he didn't save his taxes that first year mm -hmm. it is many 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 years later and he's still digging that hole uh, mm -hmm. digging out of that hole mm -hmm. so, so if you hire a cpa how do you make the most of them i would ask good questions i would participate um you know i think there's definitely an element uh that you need to trust that person um, I would recommend getting a good referral. Uh, someone who works in your industry is also really good. But I think the biggest thing is being willing to participate in the conversation, have a learner's uh, mentality, and be willing to ask dumb questions. Uh, I always enjoy when clients ask me questions. And um, it's fun because you get to this point where Curtis sounds like you are. You understand it enough that then discussions with your accountant become much more meaningful and valuable. So, I mean, most accountants charge by the hour. If you're paying them for that time anyway, why not make it more valuable? Instead of talking about how to separate your expenses and track your books, which is very important, and I understand that's where we need to start on a lot of this stuff. What if you could actually do tax planning and entity planning and figure out how you could save yourself you know, thousands of dollars just by you know, doing a transaction in this year or postponing it till next year uh, to do something like bunching. What's bunching? So bunching is an idea that you uh, try and bunch a bunch of expenses uh, into one period. So that way uh, you maybe defer making a purchase this year, but then you were going to buy a MacBook at the end of the year and then you were also going to buy uh, some sort of a 3D printer next year. Well, if you waited until the following year, 
uh, it could actually be you know very beneficial to actually bunch the MacBook and the the following year, and then you dramatically reduce your income, uh, generally speaking, in that year, and then you defer that uh, tax savings all to one period. This is Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about Freelance Remote Comp. I'm putting on a conference for people who want to go freelance or who are freelance and bringing in some of the experts from the Freelancer Show to talk to you about how to find clients, how to collect money, how to build your business, how to specialize, and much, much more. So if you're thinking about going freelance or you're already freelance and want to hear from the experts on how to go, become, or grow your freelancing business, then by all means, come check us out at freelanceremotecomp.com. So, okay. Now, unfortunately, at some point, we may have to deal with the RS or the CRA. Mm -hmm. um, do you recommend like we just move offshore somewhere or is there a better way to deal with that when we have to deal with our taxes? <laughs> you know, unfortunately, uh, as an American who lived in Canada for a few years, I still had to deal with the IRS. Uh, you know, many people think that uh, as an American, if you live outside the country, you have to pay double tax. Generally, that's not the case. You do, it feels that way because you end up having to pay an expert, you know, one to $2,000 to do your cross-border return. Uh, you still have to report your income. Generally, unless you're making substantial amounts, you're not paying less, uh, additional tax. But, you know, I think having a professional on your side is really what it comes down to, someone you trust, someone you can talk to, um, understanding what you're getting yourself into ahead of time. So many people uh, I've seen start their own business because they're passionate about a hobby, an idea, a craft, uh, and they aren't really turned on by the idea of tracking their expenses or uh, calculating their quarterly taxes. That's okay, but as a business owner, um, it is your responsibility to, to get that taken care of somehow. So participate in the conversation, find a trusted advisor, get referrals, um, you know, move to Canada if you want to. Uh, but <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't do it to avoid any sort of compliance. And I know my accountant, based on everything I pay all year, they say that there is no extra charge for dealing with the CRA. If they want to audit my tax return, they just include that as a service. Yeah, I would say I've seen that uh, work a lot of different ways. Um, we have three different tiers on our pricing structure, uh, and we're attempting the monthly plan, uh, so that way we're there and supporting you year-round. And then it's less of a burden at uh, tax time to pay your taxes and pay your tax preparation bill. Um, there's certainly a million different ways uh, to, to work through that. Many people... Uh, or many CPAs or accountants will make sure the audit is a separate engagement, which could be a good thing for both parties because oftentimes they could be substantial. Or the other uh, strategy, which sounds like what your accountant does, he or she assumes that uh, the number of audits he's going to have to deal with are you know very small, so he'll just build that into his fee so that way if an audit comes up, he's fine and he's not uh, losing a bunch of money on it. Yeah, that's what mine does. And since since I'm organized as well, and I'm and I was his first client when he opened mm -hmm. up his new shop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, actually oh, get cool. a, I get a discount enough that uh, I'm assuming he does, I don't actually pay the fee in general because I he only charges me personal uh, rates for all of my business taxes as well mm -hmm. after 
12 years and the first person. <laughs> That's really so, funny. I think that accountants are bad at raising their rates. I think uh, they seem to be one industry where, um, you know, set in their ways in a lot of uh, ideas, including being paperful uh, and uh, leaving rates and feeling awkward raising rates. I think accountants are really doing themselves a disservice a lot of times uh, when they're not progressing technologically as well as just with the economy and cost of living uh, as they should. Yeah, his rates have definitely gone up, um, but for me anyways, but I still pay reduced because mainly because he says I just walk in with one sheet of paper. I don't have anything else to go through. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just, here's one sheet of paper and he enters the numbers and we're in and out in like 25 minutes usually. That's awesome. I do believe in uh, a good book discount. So if your bookkeeping is done really well uh, or you're super organized, you deserve a discount. And so that's the same idea as billing by the hour, right? It just maybe feels a little bit better because you get rewarded for being organized instead of penalized for being disorganized. Um, but mm. yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is just stay organized, somehow find some system that works uh, and then it will make your life easier. It'll make your tax uh, fee, tax preparation fee lower uh, and make your conversation with your accountant so much more meaningful. Luke, why do you think CPAs are resistant to raising their rates? I'm curious as a ex-hourly mm -hmm. billing person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that the profession is uh, packed with tradition. Uh, and I think that mostly comes from partnerships and essentially what I view as pyramid schemes, like legitimate legalized pyramid schemes. And I say that because I, I have a lot of friends who are partners at firms. Um, but to me, I find that uh, the traditionalism is just a mentality. And a lot of that has to do with being regulated, right? Um, our licenses are regulated by states. Uh, mine is in Washington state. And we have to fulfill certain requirements. And, you know, it's then a quasi-governmental organization. And just like any governmental organization, it tends to be a, a late adopter in a lot of things. And billable hours work. And rates that are set are very straightforward. I would say, you know, the bigger firms likely increase their rates more standard because they have people and partners who are really focused on it. But... Um, I think most accountants stereotypically, um, you know, are just not in a sales mindset. And uh, I've had the advantage of working in a lot of different capacities uh, at a startup. So that has enabled me to have a lot of experience and gain comfort talking about fees on the phone, uh, explaining um, what what is built into that, you know, following up and doing marketing. Whereas most accountants, their experience may really just be in accounting, in accounting systems, in tax software, until they start their own firm. Wait, wait you, you mentioned a pyramid scheme. I wanted to hear more about that. Could you explain that? Yeah, I think, you know, when I was going to school uh, for my accounting degree, um, it's essentially like this golden halo over here uh, as one of your career opportunities to become a partner of a firm, just like maybe a lawyer would see, you know, oh, I want to make partner. And I definitely would fall under that spell when I was uh, in school. Uh, it's neat because the big four firms especially really court you and they 
pay for these recruiting events and that sort of a thing. But uh, to me, it really feels like this bizarre uh, slave labor at the bottom and then at the top, you know, how many partners are there actually? After three years, you either go up or out and most of them go out and then there's another essentially cut off in a similar time window. Uh, you know, most of the people I went to school with are not working at a big port firm anymore. They're doing something else and they're, they have great careers and great jobs and they got wonderful experience, but uh, it very much from the outside, I'm a bit cynical and that's why I uh, resonate with the idea of being a freelancer, starting my own uh, company and working with freelancers is uh, there's somebody at the top getting rich off of my hard work and I would rather be the person getting rich off of my hard work. Oh, well said. What Do you think there's opportunity for accountants to price services based on value or does it really have to be hourly? Uh, we don't price hourly uh, at TimberTax.co. We do all of our pricing uh, flat rate. Most returns are a thousand bucks, but we're also offering monthly services. So $99, $199 or $299 a month. Uh, so I really think that is going to help shift uh, a mentality with a lot of people because um, you're then reminded of, hey, I have an accountant. I can contact them anytime. Um, I, I hope there is more of a shift to value-based billing or, or something along those lines. But I also think that there should be completely paperless offices. And I know for sure that there's a lot of CPA firms you go into and there are stacks and stacks and stacks of paper. So, um, you know, I think it's just a, a matter of technological shift. And more than anything, I'm, I'm looking to work with people who understand and feel that sense of peace where it's like, okay, this is the rate, you know, and then if something is substantially outside of scope, which uh, I haven't had that experience yet, um, then we revisit that fixed rate the following year. Oh, that's interesting. I, I like that. All right, here's, here's a question that I've been sitting on, pondering whether I should ask. Mm -hmm. What secrets do CPAs not want their clients to know? Yeah, I think that's a real, uh, real question. Um, unfortunately, like I can't really just rattle off three secrets, but it does seem like a very protectionist uh, industry. And uh, what we're trying to do with Timber is empower people to take care of their taxes and be informed. Up to you know, maybe if you're making fifty thousand dollars, it may not, may or may not make sense to hire us. But if you're making over fifty to a hundred up to 200, all of a sudden, this is really serious and something that you can make dramatic uh, changes if you have informed decisions and you're working with a professional. So I would say, generally speaking, the profession is built on um, keeping secrets for sure because that's how people get paid. And I don't think that's necessarily wrong or bad, uh, but I think that there, with the shift in our economy, in the US especially, um, of so many more freelancers being around, they deserve to have some sort of answers. And, you know, calling the IRS, unfortunately, it's not an optimal solution because you're going to be on hold for an hour or two. And then what sort of an answer are you actually going to get? So, you know, I truly believe in empowering people, uh, helping them gain access to resources, um, finding answers uh, up to a certain point, you know, for free. I want to provide as much value and, and free content that is helpful. 
and then, you know, there will come a point when someone is making enough money that it makes sense for us to engage and actually have a conversation. So what are the best free resources you're aware of for people in the U.S.? You know, number one is truly just Google IRS.gov colon X, you know, business meals, travel entertainment, home auto or auto. Um, so the IRS actually does have a lot of um, resources out there. Uh, even H&R Block and TurboTax has quite a lot out there. Um, the issues really come more on the state side of things. So there's definitely a hole there. Um, we have a blog that we uh, had started on uh, doing a Can I Deduct That series. So if you went to timbertax.co slash light hyphen reading, you would see resources, how-tos, and essential reading. So we have Can I Deduct That, Meals and Entertainment, Home Office, Auto Expenses and Mileage, and then uh, a little bit about quarterly payments, and we'll be updating that. And then we'll also do a business entity uh, series as well. Um, something else that I was going to mention is that I actually wrote a freelancerstaxcourse.com. So it's a five-part series uh, that really helps people uh, gain more understanding. Most of the issues we covered today are in that course, and it's fairly light. I think a lot of people get intimidated. You know, unfortunately, the IRS uh, does not necessarily believe in design. Uh, it's more just utilitarian. So if you go on and you find those instructions, they can be intimidating. So part of what we're trying to do is bring a sense of um, delightfulness and ease of access to these resources. This is kind of a random question, but are there states in the U.S. where it's uh, easier to form an S-Corp, like less paperwork, easier to set it up and maintain it? Um, short answer is yes, but I also want to uh, go a little bit deeper on that. So um, we spoke earlier about LLCs and S-Corporations. LLCs uh, are a state-level um, formation. So LLCs are governed by whatever state you set it up in. An S-Corporation generally speaking, is a federal tax election. And so you, to your question is, are there certain states where it's easier? Uh, the answer is yes, because New York, for example, requires an additional separate uh, form to be sent in, whereas some states, you know, like Washington uh, or Wyoming, don't have income tax. So they it won't matter um, what the state income tax implications are. Uh, Washington, you're still subject to business occupancy tax, um, but as far as really having an easier state to set up an S-corporation is, um, yeah, there are certain states. I'd like to jump back to the when you talked about paying quarterlies. If you're bad at saving, can you just pay them monthly? And I know that's possible in Canada. I would just because I can set up through online bill pay. I just pay it as a bill, uh, and that works fine. Hmm, I'm not familiar with people doing that, but I actually uh, let me look up this site. Uh, there's this event that's sponsored by um, basically a software or a service that will um, take your 1099 payments directly and then withhold a certain percentage and then remit 
the remainder to you. So uh, where was that? I'll have to look it up, and I don't know. Do you guys have show notes or something that we can? Yes, we do. Okay, great. Uh, Yeah. So So they basically just hang on to the money because you won't. Yeah, and so if you have poor self control, or uh, you know, just prefer to be set up more like an employee, then that's a great option. I cringed at that idea because somebody's using my money for free. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think it's called Painless Ten Ninety Nine. Painless Ten Ninety Nine dot com. Yeah. I haven't used them. I don't necessarily endorse them or anything, but uh, I, it's a service that I just became aware of. Okay. So what else would you say to freelancers starting out? Is there anything you talked about? Basically get some help and make some planning. Is there anything else you'd recommend for them? Mm, I would say don't be afraid of taxes because... Uh, the more afraid and the more you avoid it, the worse it's going to be. It should be something that you face head on and uh, ideally with an advisor or someone who can really help explain things to you, someone you feel comfortable talking to and someone that you're willing to ask dumb questions to. Awesome. So, where, why don't you tell us where people get a hold of you more? Yeah, I would say uh, our website, timbertax.co. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. I mostly just retweet Seth Godin um, or his blog anyway. <laughs> uh, so certainly Is your Twitter there. handle little Seth then? Or? <laughs> it should be. Uh, uh, though My email is luke at timbertax.co. You can just email me. Uh, I'm happy to offer any sort of free conversations of this sort. Uh, I really do believe in helping people succeed and in, in doing interesting creative endeavors. And, um, you know, from there, just creating as much value for people and connecting people as I can. And then where uh, you talked at the beginning again, and I don't remember off right now if you've already mentioned it, but where can people find that email course you said you had? Yeah, the email course. Uh, is called freelancerstaxcourse.com. And what do you get when you take that? Yeah, so it's just a five-part email course that goes over most of what we just went over today. So uh, you'll learn about banking, bookkeeping, quarterly tax payments, uh, mileage, and then organization file management. I also included in the organization and file management uh, discussion of Receipt Bank, which we mentioned, PubDoc and file this, which automatically pull statements and bills for you. And then I included a Google Drive and Dropbox uh, file structure that I like to use uh, that you can just download uh, from there. So that way you have monthly folders organized and it's really simple, just bank statements and then any other items in there. But uh, if you're feeling like you would like to download that, just sign up for the course at freelancerstaxcourse.com and enter your email address. Are you looking to expand your skills in mobile development? Have an idea for the next Angry Birds app? Then you need to check out iOS Remote Conf, produced by the same team that brings you your favorite devchat.tv podcasts like Ruby Rogues and iFreeze. Join us for two days of jam-packed fun and learning streamed to you live May 17th and 18th. Go check it out at iosremoteconf.com. Awesome. So now we move on to picks, and I'll start today. I'm going to pick a pen and it's really just a fancy ink holder but if you're going to write i like to have a fancy ink holder 
It's from a company called Tactile Turn. It's their slider and glider, and it's got a neat, I don't know, I kind of guess a bolt action rifle. Uh, I think it's actually called a bolt uh, something. I forget the technical term for it. It's a fancy machine pen I picked up on Kickstarter, and the machining is so nice that when you unscrew the two halves, when you screw them back together, you can't even see the seam, like where the two halves screw together. Wow. Um, yeah, it's like, it's amazing. I, I The kids have, when I'll pull it out of my pocket, and they'll they unscrew it a little bit and unscrew it, and they'll put it back in, and they're like, I can't really see where it is. If you look <laughs> super closely on an angle, you can see it, but other than that, you can't even come close to seeing it. So, it's my pick. Do you have any for us, Luke? Yeah, I've got a few. Um, so I've actually been reading Topography for Lawyers, and it's a pretty fun read on topography by this guy. I think his name is Matthew Butterick down in Texas, uh, who really talks about the legal implications of, of topography. And so just working to apply topography and uh, nicely designed templates and things for our tax practice as well. Um, the other thing would be Tools of Titans. Uh, really enjoyed reading that. And uh, especially the forward by Arnold Schwarzenegger about not being a self-made man, which even though as a freelancer, I think a lot of us uh, would identify with being self-made, uh, we acknowledge that there's a lot of systems and, and people who've helped us along the way. And I, I think the last podcast or the last pick I would say is Make Money Online podcast. I really enjoy by Nick uh, DeSabado and Kai Davis. I don't know about those guys, especially Kai. He's kind of creepy. <laughs> and he's a friend. That's why I'm saying it. <laughs> and Philip. I have uh, had this <clears throat> um, embarrassingly, embarrassingly long-running project of trying to absolutely optimize and maximize my video call setup. So uh, recently I purchased a... Uh, 4K video camera <laughs> made by Logitech. Oh, wow. It's this, uh, or, uh, yeah, Curtis just ironed me nerd, and he's absolutely right <laughs> about that. Um, it's a it's a webcam by Logitech that is sort of the progression of their C920 webcam, which really was one of the best sort of uh, standalone webcams out there. Uh, this one is a 4K webcam. It's a little nicer um, housing that it's in and a little... Uh, actually has a detachable USB cable, for example. And uh, it works, it's pretty darn good. And uh, because of the sort of insane amount of resolution, you can really zoom in. So if you have a, like, a lot that you need to crop out, they have this software uh, control panel that lets you zoom in the webcam. It's not an optical zoom, but it uh, still works pretty well for what I'm using it for. So that's my pick, is the Logitech Brio. Yeah, that's the name of that webcam. And uh, yeah, you won't, at this point, you won't find a lot of reviews on it on Amazon because it was just released like a week or two ago. Um, but uh, I've been pretty happy with it. So yeah, that's my pick for this week. So I have a question for you on that. What, do you think that would perform better than my Canon 60D? No. For video? No, no, no. no. It's a okay. whole different ballgame. It's, it's a <laughs> webcam, so... Uh, yeah. Using the Canon 60D as a webcam on your computer would require buying a... <laughs> That'd be hilarious. No, some people do this. Uh, that would require buying like a three dollars $400 adapter box that makes the computer see it as a webcam. I, I was looking <laughs> into this. This was, I was like looking into this level of, uh, you know, ridiculousness in, when it comes to my video setup. Um, so you could do that, but you'd have to have that, that extra piece of hardware. Noted. 
Well, thanks, uh, Luke, for joining us today and talking all about taxes because uh, you guys need to deal with it. Do not get stuck where I was one year with Excellent. not having ten grand. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Curtis and Philip. Yeah, good talk to you, Luke. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.